Um, so here we are. <laughs> Today is Palm Sunday. It's the day we traditionally celebrate Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. You may know the story. As Jesus rode a donkey into the town of Jerusalem, a large crowd gathered and laid palm branches and their cloaks across the road. The hundreds of people shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. That was a very important day in history. But the truth is, Palm Sunday is kind of a strange day to me. It's hard to explain, but it's kind of an enigma. We call it Palm Sunday, and it seems like it should be a special day, a holiday. And in some ways, it is, it's marked every year on the calendar, and we have a name for this day. There are special symbols that can be found for it, but we really don't treat it like a holiday. It's like we don't know what to do with Palm Sunday. You know, we don't really gather with family for a big meal. There's no celebration. We don't exchange gifts. You won't find happy Palm Sunday greeting cards at the dollar store. And I think maybe it has something to do with the sequence of events. You see, I think Palm Sunday is hard to swallow because we know that it comes just before Good Friday. The story doesn't end with Palm Sunday. It's really just the beginning, the beginning of the end. We are in part two today of our series, The Way to Victory. Last week, we followed Jesus to Bethany, where he was anointed by a woman for his burial. This morning, I want to focus on what happened a few days after Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Let's follow Jesus to another place, a place called Gethsemane. Gethsemane was a garden, and it probably belonged to a friend of the Lord. It still exists just outside the city of Jerusalem. Today, the garden still has many ancient olive trees, some of which may have grown from the roots of the trees that were even present in Jesus' time. In Jesus' day, it was probably a small garden enclosed by a wall and guarded by a gate. The name Gethsemane comes from the Hebrew meaning olive press. And since oil is used in the Bible to symbolize the Holy Spirit, it may be said that the garden is where the Spirit of God was crushed. I'd like for us to spend some time together today considering what took place in the Garden of Gethsemane on the night that Jesus was betrayed. On that night, Gethsemane became more than a garden where Jesus and his men spent some time. On that night, Gethsemane became a place where eternal business was transacted for the glory of God. It was a stop on the way to victory. This event is recorded in each of the Gospels. So I'd like to read the account found in Mark 14, 29 to 42. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me there. Again, it's Mark 14, 29 to 42. It says, Peter said to him, even if everyone else deserts you, I never will. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, Peter, this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny three times that you ever knew me. No, Peter declared emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. And all the others vowed the same. They went to the olive grove called Gethsemane, and Jesus said, sit here while I go and pray. He took Peter, James, and John with him, and he became deeply troubled and distressed. He told them, My soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. 
He went on a little further and fell to the ground. He prayed that, if it were possible, the awful hour awaiting him might pass him by. Abba, Father, he cried out, everything is possible for you. Please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Then he returned and found the disciples asleep. He said to Peter, Simon, are you sleeping? Could you watch with me not one hour? Keep watch and pray so that you will not give in to temptation. For the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Then Jesus left them again and prayed the same prayer as before. When he returned to them again, he found them sleeping, for they couldn't keep their eyes open, and they didn't know what to say. When he returned to them the third time, he said, Go ahead and sleep. Have your rest. But... But no time has, but now the time has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Up, let's, let's be going. Look, my betrayer is here. Let's pray. God, we just thank you for your word and thank you that we can trust you. We know that you are with us and that you are going to help us and and we are not alone in the many things that we have to go through in our lives. And God, as we look into your word today, I pray that people will be encouraged, that we will be strengthened, and that you would speak to each one of our hearts. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. According to Luke twenty-two thirty-nine, Gethsemane was a place Jesus often visited with his men. This garden seemed to have been a refuge for the Lord. It was a place where he could find solitude from the crowds and the ministry that occupied his life. It was a place where he could go and find a private moment to pray. It was a sanctuary, a place of refreshment for the long days of ministry. It was a special place for the Lord and his men. Now, on this particular night, it became a different kind of place. I want to look at what kind of place it was for Jesus that night. And in doing so, I believe it will help us find victory in our Gethsemane experiences. Uh, I can't even wrap my mind around what Jesus went through that night in the garden. Knowing that he was going about to face and being betrayed and left alone by his closest friends. We will never experience the extent of agony that Jesus did in that night in the garden. But I do believe that we all experience times of great suffering. Times when we feel alone, like no one understands what we're going through. We all have or will have a Gethsemane type experience at some point in our lives. <clears throat> I remember as a teenager, I went through a very difficult time of illness. It was really hard for me and I remember I was lying in my bed one day after having surgery. I was weeping uncontrollably and I was listening to a cassette tape of a gospel group singing. I think they were called the Agape Trio and not typically what teenagers listen to but I wasn't your typical teenager. The song was called Have You Had a Gethsemane? I was reminded of that day as I was preparing this message. The words of the song were, in the garden he went to pray when it seemed hope was gone. He prayed with a broken heart. He prayed all alone. Have you had a Gethsemane? Have you prayed in despair? In the dark of the weary hours did the Lord meet you there? 
Have you had a Gethsemane? Have you prayed the night through? Have you shed tears of agony when no hope was in view? Have you prayed, if it is thy will, may this cup pass from me? But if it's your will, dear Lord, I will bear it for thee. Now, there have been times in my life, that time being one of them, when I've had a Gethsemane experience. And I believe all of us go through times when we're facing difficult circumstances where we feel all alone. Now, I was talking to an amazing lady a while ago, and she shared with me her Gethsemane experience. How she was betrayed in the worst possible way by someone she loved and trusted. My heart was so moved, and I realized that some of you today that are here or listening are going through circumstances where you feel alone, like no one understands. So I want to look at this passage and see what we can learn to help us in our times of walking alone and how we can find victory. The first thing we see from this passage is that Gethsemane was a place of perfidy. Does anyone know what perfidy means? <laughs> if you do, you're smarter than me. I wanted all my points to start with P, so I used the thesaurus to find a word that means betrayal that begins with P, and I found perfidy. I looked it up in the dictionary, and this is what it said. <clears throat> it said, perfidy is a deliberate breach of faith or trust, faithlessness, treachery. It is an act or instance of disloyal or, or betrayal. See, for Jesus, the garden became a place of perfidy. We see that Jesus took three of his closest friends, Peter, James, and John, with him. Understanding what was about to happen, he told them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. He desperately needed some time alone with his father. He asked his three buddies to keep watch while he prayed. Instead, they fell asleep. Jesus was in agony while his friends were sleeping. After waking the disciples, the praying, sleeping scenario happened two more times. Peter, James, and John just couldn't keep their eyes open. I can only imagine the frustration to find them sleeping a third time. Just then, Judas approaches with an angry crowd armed with swords and clubs. Judas boldly walks up to Jesus and betrays him with a kiss. As the guards begin to arrest, chaos begins. Verse 50 says, And everyone deserted him and fled. They left him all alone. Later that night, Peter would deny that he even knew Jesus three times. Let that sink in for a moment. I can't even wrap my mind around what Jesus went through that night in the garden. Knowing what he was about to face and then being betrayed and left alone by his closest friends. The garden was definitely a place of perfidy. Having relationships with others, whether it's in the form of a friendship, a romantic capacity, family, or the workplace, it opens us up to experience disappointment, pain, and even perfidy. When we have relationships with others, we also have certain expectations from them. Throughout life, lots of people will not live up to those expectations. They will disappoint us. Being let down in that way can cause us to feel pain. It's impossible to avoid feeling disappointed because people will disappoint us and we will disappoint others as well. Alexander Pope said, Blessed is he who expects nothing, for he shall never be disappointed. The truth is we do have certain expectations, and when they're not met, they leave a gap, an expectation gap. 
I read somewhere, frustration is the gap between what you expect and what you experience. There's often a gap in what you expect in relationships and what we experience. There's a gap in most marriages and what you expect and what you experience. There's a gap sometimes between what you expect people in church to be like and what you experience. Or maybe for you, you never expected your spouse would leave you, that he or she who promised to be faithful to love and cherish you till death do us part wouldn't keep that promise. You certainly didn't expect your friend, the one you had done so much for, to talk beyond your back and say those things about you. You never expected that your child would act that way. Or you never expected that that person you looked up to would betray your trust. Or you expected those people that were supposed to protect you, those very people were the ones who abused you and didn't protect you. When things don't turn out the way you expected, when people don't live up to those expectations, it's easy to become hopeless and cynical. You could choose to close yourself off from what God has for you. Every day will give us opportunity for offense, for disappointment, but don't let bitterness set into your heart. Take those expectations that you've been putting on other people and put them on Jesus. Let Jesus fill the gap. Whatever disappointment you're feeling today because of what someone has done to you, I want you to know that Jesus knows exactly what that's like. And he is there for you and he will never disappoint you. The garden was also a place of pressure. A place that was often a refuge for Jesus. A place that he went out often to retreat from the pressures of his ministry now becomes a place of pressure. The name Gethsemane comes from the Hebrew meaning olive press. I read to, that to extract the oil from the olives, they were placed onto a millstone to be crushed by the weight of the press. There were four different pressings of the olives. The first produced the oil, which was for holy things associated with the temple. The second provided the oil for home cooking. And the third provided oil for medicine. And then lastly, the, what was left was used for soap, beauty aids, or household applications. In short, everything in the olive had to come out under the load of the press. Olive oil might only cost us a few dollars, but it cost the olive everything that was in it. In the garden that night, Jesus felt the full pressure of what he was about to face. He was about to take on the sins of the world, and he felt it to the full extent. Luke records in Luke twenty-two forty-four, and being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. None of us have ever sweat like Jesus did, but the pressures of life can make us sweat. It's safe to say that we all understand pressure. Pastors feel the pressures of ministry. Most of us know the load of financial pressure, work pressure. Students feel the pressure of school and friends. Parents feel the pressure of parenting, and I could go on. But what pressures are you feeling today? When we're under pressure, we're scared, we get frustrated. We desperately want to get out from under the weight of it all. In the middle of the pressure, have you ever been like me and said to yourself, I can't take this anymore, I just want to run, how can I escape? 
You see, we don't like to feel the pressure. But what if in the hard situations you face, what if you didn't run from the pressure, but you walked through it? You see, some things can only be produced by pressure. The only way to get the oil is to press. The more pressure, the more oil. And the only way to get the victory is to go through the pressure and not run from it. Do any of you own an Instapot? I don't have one, but I know many people who do and they absolutely love them. An Instapot is really just a modern pressure cooker. And I know that the cooking times for most foods in a pressure cooker are approximately one-third the time of those uh, foods cooked in traditional ways. And I'm told that foods kept that are cooked in a pressure cooker keep more of the nutrients. So I can see why people would like them. Now, all models have a lot lock-on lid and a vent or pressure relief valve on them. And it's an amazing process in which the pressure inside the cooker is so intense, the heat rises and it cooks the food faster. Pressure cookers have gotten much better over the years, but I do know stories of where a pressure cooker was so intense and the pressure was not released properly and there was actually an explosion. I found this picture on the internet of when a pressure cooker exploded. Look at the damage. You know, sometimes life is just like a pressure cooker. So it becomes important in cooking and in life that we understand what to do and how to release the pressure. If we respond to the pressure in the white way, it can make us better. It can make us stronger. We can be better under pressure. But if we respond in the wrong way, it can cause a lot of damage. When Jesus was under pressure, what did he do? He prayed. When we're under pressure, instead of trying to find a way to escape, we need to let the place of pressure lead us to a place of prayer. The pressure cooker, it has a regulator on the top that releases the right amount of steam and pressure. And that's what prayer is for the child of God. When we don't pray and release, we may explode. And that leads me to my third point. Gethsemane was a place of prayer. Jesus that night went deeper into Gethsemane to pray. And I noticed a few things about how Jesus prayed that I believe can help us as well. First, we see that Jesus prayed honestly. Verse 35 and 36 says, Going a little further, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, not yet what yet not what I will, but what you will. He told God honestly how he was feeling. One thing I love about children is that they're honest. Children are honest when they pray. I was reading some children's prayers and, and I thought they were cute. One kid prayed, thank you for my baby brother, but what I really prayed for was a puppy. <laughs> Another kid prayed, I bet it's hard for you to love all the people in the whole wide world. There are only four people in our family and I can't even do that. <laughs> One more. I read about a little boy who was kneeling beside his bed with his mother and his grandmother softly saying his prayers. Dear God, please bless mommy and daddy and all the family and please give me a good night's sleep. Suddenly he looks up and shouts, and don't forget to give me a bicycle for my birthday. Now there's no need to shout like that, his mother said. God isn't deaf. 
No, said the little boy, but Grandma is. <laughs> when I was a children's pastor, I would ask the children if they had any prayer requests in Super Church. Let me tell you, you would be amazed at what I've learned about some of you. Children tell the truth. We're to be like children and we're to pray truthfully. When we pray in truth, we're vulnerable. When we're vulnerable, we open up the wounded and weary places in our lives before God, knowing that He has the power to heal. Coming to Him in truth is when we risk opening ourselves up in all our frailty and failings before the eyes of God, and we trust Him to look with love and respond with grace. One of the things I love about the Psalms is the psalm writer's honesty with God. Many times when you read the Psalms, you see candid, straightforward prayer that expresses how the writer was feeling. For example, one of my favorites is Psalm 69. The psalmist says, Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in the deep mire where there is no standing. I have come into deep waters where the floods overflow me. I am weary with my crying. My throat is dry. My eyes fail while I wait for God. I've prayed prayers like that. At times when I was hurt or in grief or disappointed, I've sobbed and I've cried and I've bawled and I called out to God for help and I told him in less than pretty terms how I was feeling. And I know that he was the only person who could understand fully what I was going through. So I went to him honestly and I know I went to the right person because it helped. So pray honestly. God is not shocked by you. And besides, if you cover things up, he knows anyways. So be honest with God. It really does help. Jesus also prayed intimately. We see in verses 35 and 36, Jesus prostrated himself on the ground and began to call out on his father. And he addressed him as Abba. This is an Arabic term that's equivalent to the word daddy. It's a word of intense intimacy. Paul said in Romans 8.15, For we have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but we have received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Think about this. God, the King of Kings, says to us, You can call me Daddy. You can call me Abba. You can have this intimate, loving relationship with God. Through Jesus, we have the same privilege that Jesus enjoyed. We're brought into a place of absolute intimacy with the Father. So when you pray, pray intimately. Jesus also prayed repeatedly. He kept going back to God over and over again through the night. Now, persistence is a common theme in the Bible teachings on prayer. I think of the story in Luke 18, 1-5 of the persistent widow. And then we, there's a story of Paul where he talks about his thorn in the flesh in 2 Corinthians 12. He prayed multiple times for God to remove it. Jesus prayed repeatedly. He also prayed more and more earnestly. Luke 22:44 says, And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly. When we're facing the most difficult things in life, pray. Keep on praying because I want you to notice that what turned the place of pressure into a place of strength was prayer. Prayer that was fervent and persistent. Prayer in which one submits to the will of God. 
That's the kind of prayer that will enable you to face the cup of life given. I read that a grandfather was walking past his young granddaughter's room one night when he saw her kneeling beside her bed, her head bowed, her hands folded, repeating the alphabet. What are you doing, he asked her, and she explained, I'm saying my prayers. I couldn't think of just what I wanted to say, so I'm just saying all the letters of the alphabet, and God can put them together however he thinks best. Now, maybe we can take a lesson from this little girl's faith and pray like Jesus did. Not my will, but your will be done. Now, there will be times when you must enter your Garden of Gethsemane experiences. Times of distress, pressure, sorrow, loneliness. But in those times, prayer helps to relieve the pressure. Gethsemane was also a place of purpose. Jesus had one overriding purpose in his life. He lived to do the will of his Father. When he was 12 years old, we read in Luke 2:49, he said, Why were you searching for me? Didn't you know I had to be in my Father's house? Later, he said in John 4:34, My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. And in John 6:38, we read, Jesus said, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. <clears throat> in the garden, he prayed, Yet not what I will, but what you will. Jesus came to this world to die for sin and sinners, and that's what he did. His Father's will was what he lived for. We see God's purpose for salvation of mankind is so clearly in the Garden of Gethsemane that night. I'm thankful that Jesus prevailed in Gethsemane. He did it so that we might have victory. He did it so that we might have a way to be saved. He did it so that when a lost soul cries out to God the Father in the name of Jesus Christ the Savior, there would be salvation available. He did it because he loved us. He did it so that we could have eternal life. I'm so thankful he endured the pain and paid the price so that we might be saved. If you have not accepted him, the good news of God's love, the good news is God loves you. And he wants a relationship with you and you can receive him today. If you do that, I'd love to talk with you and rejoice with you and, and journey with you as you um, start your relationship with God. Or maybe you come here this morning and you feel discouraged because someone has disappointed you or even betrayed you. Or you might be experiencing great pressure right now. I want you to know that pressure creates power when you release it through prayer. When we put God's will ahead of our own, we'll see God's purposes accomplished in our lives. So begin to cry out to God honestly, intimately, repeatedly, and earnestly, and let Jesus help you. Gethsemane is a place that represents a place of perfidy a place of pressure, and a place of prayer. Each of those critical places represents places in our own lives. And sometimes those places are not always as they appear in the natural. At first, they are shrouded in pain and suffering, conflict and losses. But if we rely on Jesus, we can become, they can become a place of great purpose. If you will give your life to him and trust in him and pray like Jesus did, not what I will, but you, what you will, it is a place where we must visit on the way to victory in our lives.
Let's pray. God, we just thank you that you prevailed in Gethsemane, that you went through all that pressure and that pain so that we could be in your presence. And Lord, I pray today for anyone who is experiencing a time of betrayal. They're feeling lonely. They feel like someone has hurt them or deserted them. God, I pray that your presence in their lives would just give them assurance that they are not alone and that you will help them. God, for those who are under extreme pressure, whether that is financially or in their job or in a relationship or whatever that pressure is that they're feeling, I pray that you would help them to go to you and, and, and pray and, and give them relief for that pressure that they're under. God, help us to always know that we can come to you. Lord, I thank you. I thank you that you have a purpose for our lives. And even the hard things, the things that the enemy would have wanted for evil, God, you can use for good. So God, I pray that your will would be done in each one of our lives today. I thank you and I ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Let's worship him together. <laughs>